In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Join me, Dr. Karen Kambule, as we pursue the Word, the Lord Jesus, searching scriptures to find solutions to life's issues. Welcome to Word Anchor Podcast. Download and share with your friends and your family. Stay blessed. Hello there. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Word Anchor Podcast. We have hit the 50th mark since 2020. It's been a journey of learning for me. The Lord has graciously opened such platforms for the Word of God to be preached. Praise the Lord. Truly, this gospel is reaching to the ends of the earth. The title of this episode is Don't Throw Stones. Let me start by saying that salvation is by the grace of God. The Bible says we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It took the blood of Jesus to wash us of our sins. Yes, our sins. If we had not sinned, we would not need a savior. Now let us look at the issue of how we respond to one another when one of us has been caught up in trespass, that is sin. Or perhaps they have been overtaking sin at a very high speed. We are one body, many members, children of God. When the eye is out of tune, how do we respond? Do we throw stones or we get it fixed up? Do we pretend the eye can see clearly or we cut it off? That is the question that we need to address in this episode. The church of Jesus has been made by controversies for a while. It is not unusual to wake up to a trend of a man of God trending for all the wrong reasons. One steals from members and another sleeps with young girls in the church. Another rapes young boys, another abuses their wife, another steals church funds. The list is endless. When such news breaks, especially if the person is well known, social media becomes a hype of activity. It does not take long to see a divide within the body of Christ, notwithstanding the unbelievers who have a field day hailing insults at ministers of the word. If the universal church had a constitution, these perpetrators will be found guilty of putting the church into disrepute. Scandal after scandal, the church of Jesus keeps fending off the effect of the men entrusted with building her and nurturing her. Some are in jail for raping minor children. Some are serving time for murder. Some are dodging offenses that are related to money. Greed is rife. Some want all the money, all the women, and all the members regardless of the cost. Pastor's wife are embarrassed and broken as they wake up to the dirty linen of their family hanged for all to see. It doesn't take long though to amass the defense system. Some would say don't kick a horse when it's down. Some will say you have no right to rebuke an elder. Some may quickly bring the touch not to the anointed one of God. And some will use the word of Jesus. He who has not seen cast the first stone. They will use that to declare I stand with so and so. And that is the topic of this episode. What is this thing of not throwing stones? Did Jesus mean to not rebuke a person who has sinned? Let us read in the book of John chapter 8. It reads thus. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. That is in John chapter 8 verse 7. And now the context of this verse of scripture is about the woman that was caught in adultery. She was caught in the very act of adultery. She was not committing adultery alone, 
but with the men. However, the religious people let the men go and drag the woman to Jesus. Well, that is a story for another day. Let us focus on the woman. The Bible says, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Leviticus chapter 20 verse 10. So the Jews whose biblical standard is the law were very right in this issue, though their motives were wrong. They wanted to trap Jesus either way they would find fault in him. If Jesus had said stone her, they would have said he's not a forgiving person. He's not a loving person full of grace as he was preaching a message of love. If he said don't stone her, he would be against the law. However, Jesus then went into their own records of sin. He said, has any one of you not sinned? None. The word confirms that to us anyway. We all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us have a right to throw the stone. We should start with ourselves if we wish to do that. This line of defense sounds good. However, let us look into this whole throwing of stones issue. So the Jews would deal with a sinner first by holding counsel in today's language that would be taking the person to court. The counsel is meant to firstly determine if the person is wrong or guilty. If the person is guilty, then they decide the punishment or sentence. They consult the law to see what is the right punishment and meet it out. In the case of adultery, we have read that the person must be put to death. The method of putting to death has differed in different eras. There were times when they would stone the person to death. However, in the time of Jesus under the Roman rule, they would then hang the person. And in Jesus' case, they sought an offense which the Romans could decide on and they would issue an order to hang him. In the case of this woman, she was to be stoned to death. So the throwing of stones comes after being accused of sin and being found guilty. This is where we find different views about the casting of stones. In the context of the Bible, the stone was cast after the sin and the guilt had been determined. Today, some do not want that determination of guilt. They do not want the accusation. They drag the touch not my anointed scripture out of context and we'll get to that later. If I sin today, the first thing is the Holy Spirit will tell me I am wrong, praise the Lord. Most of the time he is ignored if one is hell-bent on enjoying the sinful act. Then if the sin is caught, someone will accuse me. The woman was caught in the act and then accused. Some do not want a servant of God to be accused even. It is as if to uncover the sin of a servant of God is sin in itself. It is as if the servants of God are immune to sin. Let's look at this issue. There are sins committed out of sight and no one finds out. There are sins committed and a person is caught. So if accusing a servant of God is wrong in itself, then the word of God is null and void because then sin should not be an issue that we need to deal with. There is nowhere in the Bible where a servant of God has been granted immunity in the area of sin. If you steal money and you are caught and accused, it is the same for a layman as it is for the servant of God. Sin is sin. It does not become a non-issue simply because it is a servant of God. Before the Father, we shall all stand and account for our sins. God expects more from the servant of God even. So if a pastor sins today, the mere accusation attracts a defense rally immediately. We must cover our own. We stand by him. Touch not the anointed one of God. He who has no sin, 
cast the first stone. What people forget is that the very pastor whose sin has been uncovered preaches against the very sin in the pulpit. How do you preach against adultery in the pulpit and when it is committed by you, then it is immaterial and should be ignored? How do you as a pastor counsel a married couple when one of them has committed adultery? Can you tell the innocent wife not to cast the first stone against her husband who has committed adultery? Or are you afraid of casting the stone because you are equally guilty of the same? When one is accused, that is the first step towards correction. The church cannot afford to keep on brushing off adultery and rape happening within simply because it is done by a servant of God. What kind of a society are we breeding? In the case of this woman, Jesus said this word to the people who had already accused the woman, who had already weighed her case and found her guilty, and they wanted her killed. That is the sentence. Jesus did not dispute that the woman had sinned. He merely reminded the people who wanted her dead that they were also guilty of some sort of sin. In essence, they should all be stoned because none of them is innocent. Jesus did not come here to give us all free pass to continue to sin. He came to bring us forgiveness for our sins. Not for us to pretend that we do not sin, but that we acknowledge that we are sinners and we need him to forgive us. We cannot get forgiveness if we do not acknowledge our sins, children of God. That is where the church today is at loggerheads. The moment one says what so-and-so has done is wrong, then the Don't Throw Stones Brigade rises up. Instead of saying our brother or sister has been caught up in trespass, they were wrong and we forgive them. This brigade wants everyone to shut up and pretend it did not happen. Women are raped in church, children of God. And the first thing done is to find fault in the woman. She tempted the pastor, some say. She is a devil worshipper, some will say. She has a Jezebel spirit, some will say. What was she wearing in church? She is having an affair with the pastor. She was enjoying the attention of the pastor. She was sent by other pastors to bring down this pastor. Stone her, this evil woman. How dare she tempt the servants of God? We stand by our brother. It's just a weakness. We all have sinned. In the end, the pastor remains guiltless and continues with their sinful lifestyle. Some women have covered the rapes in the church, the rape of their own children in the church, simply because it is the man of God who prayed for them and they were healed before, who prayed for them and they received jobs before. So how dare we accuse the pastor of rape? Let us cover this thing. It will pass. And unbelievers look on and declare, ah, this one is one of us. Why should even this one begin to preach to us to repent? Don't stone her. You are also a sinner. You need forgiveness for your sins. However, the approach of Jesus is that don't stone her. You are also a sinner and you need forgiveness for your own sins. Your sins are sins just as the woman's sin. The judgment you meet out for her is the same judgment you deserve. Don't kill her. Forgive her. Condemn the sin and restore the sister. Jesus meant do not kill the person, literally and figuratively. Rebuke and don't kill. Now can I tell you my story? I was excommunicated as a young girl from church. I had sinned and had fallen pregnant. I loved my baby regardless. But the church had to get rid of me. I had acknowledged my sin though. I even wrote a letter to the church. The elders came and read me the scripture that says, cast out the immoral brother. And I was that immoral brother, unfortunately, and I was cast out. I was killed right there. 
My name was taken off the register of members. My relationship with the church ended. They cast all the stones they could find. I cried bucket loads. I was lost in the world. The life I knew in a close-knit church was over. I was thrown to the wolves and I never returned. However, Jesus found me and loved me enough to even call me as his servant. Praise the name of the living God. Now, there is the difference. Stones are cast with the purpose of killing someone spiritually. Children of God, the Jews did not play. They cast it physically and you died. Physically. Literally. I have cried bucket loads with my girls at church when they fell into sin and they also fell pregnant. The latest one made the whole church weep literally. She wrote a letter also. It was read in her presence. It was her choice. I wept like a baby. She was right next to me. I hugged her. I'm her mama and I would not throw that stone at her. The first thing I had done was to go to the father with her to repent when she told me. Then I counseled her and then the pastor was informed. However, she decided to write that letter. She made all of us cry. We wished she had done better. We wished she had run away like Joseph. Yet like me, she did not. My sin and hers are sins, period. We all embraced her and did not let her go. She was in church all through her pregnancy. Big bump and hugs and kisses. She is ours and we dare not let her go to the devil. You bring to repentance and then restoration. That is the crux of the matter. I was not given that chance. I was not brought to repentance and restoration. But I received the stones. And that killed me in the church. Jesus said to the woman, Go sin no more. That means Jesus acknowledged that she had sinned and told her it should not happen again. If it was to be brushed aside like some want us to do today, then Jesus would have just told her to go home in peace. I stand with this woman. She is a Jew like me. Sin has to be addressed and tackled head on. If I sin and you find it out, I pray that you are bold enough to tell me my wrong and lead me to repentance instead of pretending it is nothing. Do not kill me, but restore me. Do not say she is human after all. I am human. But Jesus Christ came so that he could deal with that humanity once and for all. Jesus did not die for us to remain human after all, but for us to die and be raised with him. Die to sin and rise to righteousness. You cannot find guilt on the victim and brush off the sin of the perpetrator simply because he is a servant of God. Girls in churches have paid the price for the sins of the shepherds dearly, damaged and never rose again, like the mothers who tell their daughters to keep quiet when the uncle rapes them, the mother who tells her girl, your father takes care of us. If you say something, he will go to jail. And who will take care of us? We have to protect the name of our family. That is the life of a girl today. At the expense of the girl child, God forbid, to whom much is given, much is required. If you commit sin, like adultery, fornication, theft, murder, and it has to be treated as just a weakness, then you have no business preaching against it to a sinner who is also caught up in weakness. Jesus' message was basically saying, don't kill each other because of sin. Don't kill the man of God because of sin. Don't condone it also. Go, sin no more. These words meant that there is an acknowledgement that you have sinned, and now don't do it again. When you say don't throw stones to people that say this is sin, then you're condoning sin. Two words, condone and condemn. 
The first one is destructive in that it does not cut a person to the core to the point of asking, what shall we do? Like the people that were listening to Peter preach. Then the answer would be, repent. This word says, we stand by him. He is just weak. He will rise again. It is condoning the sin. Condemnation is another destructive act. It kills. It says you are not called because you have sinned. It says your license should be revoked because you have sinned. You cannot preach in your church because you have sinned. Go serve Jesus no more. Other people never rise also from this one. Judas condemned himself up to the tree on which he ended his life. Our prayer as believers should be that a person will acknowledge their sins, repent and move forward with life. Not pretend that all is well, I'm just a weak person. It is the principle of Jesus. Satan sought to sift you like wheat, and after you have been sifted, meaning after you have sinned and fallen, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Get up, turn back, go and strengthen your brothers. That is what Peter had to deal with. That is what Jesus did to Peter. Peter lied, and Jesus said after the lies, after the fall, return and go back to work in the church. So, Not that you did not fall. Don't pretend you did not fall. Acknowledge that you have fallen. Get up. Repent. Go and work again. Now, the other scripture that is also used is that judge not, lest you be judged. Perhaps let's talk about the work of a judge first. A judge listens to a presentation of accusations and their witness and proof. And here's the defense that is presented. The judge then weighs in on the matter and takes a decision to find the accused guilty or not. The judge will then issue a judgment, a prison sentence or even death penalty in other countries where it applies, or he may acquit the accused. Now, the religious leaders were able to sit and listen to the cases and issue judgment. Unfortunately, some said and judged matters that they were also guilty of. Jesus said to them, judge not, lest you also be judged. If you find somebody guilty of murder and you sentence them to death when you are tried, you'll also be judged similarly. None of us are in a position to judge anyone and issue judgment. We are not in a position to decide the fate of a man. The approach of a believer is like Jesus saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan, and then immediately tells Peter that when he is restored, he must go strengthen his brethren. Peter was going to fall. Jesus knew that and predetermined that he was going to rise again and go and strengthen others. That is the spirit. You have fallen. We do not pretend you didn't fall when you did. We acknowledge your fall. We tell you the wrong and stretch a hand and help you get up. When Paul learned of what Peter was doing, his hypocrisy, he faced Peter head on and told him he's wrong. The matter was further discussed and dealt with at the Jerusalem council. They sought to determine what is right. Then they would be able to continue with the work. None of us are in a position to sentence a human being to death. Denominations and ministries have systems and procedures to deal with such matters. But Paul had a sharp tongue when it came to issues of sexual immorality. The book of 1 Corinthians deals with a man who had committed sexual immorality in the church of Corinth. Then Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife, and you are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away among you. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. 
And Paul goes on to become harsher and uses words that were used to excommunicate me, as I said earlier. It says, I wrote to you in my apostle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters since you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So Paul basically saying, I can't judge the unbelievers. God will judge them. I can preach the good news to them that there is salvation, but I can't judge them. You on the other side are supposed to be held accountable on the matters of the kingdom. You are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Interestingly, Paul says, give that one over to Satan to kill the flesh and save his soul. When you say this is wrong, you are not saying you are going to hell. You are saying repent from this thing. God does not approve of it. Having written this letter, Paul then wrote a second letter which sought to restore the brother in the church. He said, this punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man, so that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 6 to 8. Reaffirm your love to him. You've already rebuked him. You've already cast him out. Reaffirm him before he can be swallowed up with too much sorrow. It is the majority that inflicted the punishment. It is not stated what they did. And Paul says to them, it is enough. Forgive the man and comfort him. The man has been rebuked. Now show him some love. Hug him. Embrace him. Pray for him. Hold him by his hand. We cannot then jump the stages of rebuke to loving the sinful person who ends up not even acknowledging their sin. Salvation is not about counting sins and running away from hell. It is about submission to Christ who has paid the price and being made righteous by faith. When you have believed Christ, then you ought to believe his word also. When you address sin, people think that you think you are holier than thou. No, you are checking the scripture to see if what it says is true. If scripture says it, then it is true. If scripture says it's sin, then it is true, it is sin. If Jesus said love one another, then because you believe Jesus' word, you ought to love one another. It is not us that have determined what pleases the Lord and what doesn't. It is him and we believe him. Jesus ensured that Peter was restored after denying him three times. Peter actually lied in the hearing of Jesus. I do not know the man. His hour of sifting had come. His hour of restoration came also after the resurrection of Jesus. Should we then, after Christ has paid the price, continue sinning and no one there to tell us anything because they are not supposed to judge us? No. Should we condemn people? A big no. We seek to restore. We seek to strengthen. But we must always remember that the assignment we have is to preach the good news for repentance, for salvation, for the forgiveness of sins. People must hear what Jesus has done for us just as they must hear what he expects also from us. Stones kill children of God. Don't throw them. Yet never stop there. Move over to neither do I condemn you. Go sin no more. Lastly, the other line that is used is 
touch not my anointed. In First Chronicles chapter 16 verse 21 it is written, He permitted no man to do them wrong. Yes, he rebuked kings for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. This scripture is very clear. God permitted no man to do them wrong. Not that God permitted no man to rebuke anyone. This is based on the response of God to Abimelech, who had taken Sarah, the wife of Abraham. God came to him in the dream and rebuked him, told him to restore Abraham's wife. So this one had taken somebody else's wife and God came and rebuked him. Don't do this. Don't touch the anointed one of God. Abraham is anointed. Don't take his wife. That was a rebuke from God. What Abimelech was trying to do was sin before God. God rebuked him. Don't touch the anointed one of God. Genesis chapter 20 verse 7 says, Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. In fact, when you look at this thing, if a pastor has committed adultery with another man's wife, this is the rebuke. Restore the man's wife, because that man is a prophet. That man is a pastor. Restore. You have sinned. If you don't restore her, you shall surely die. That was the word. So we cannot then defend adultery and make it look like it is nothing. This is more like you should not steal from a servant of God. You should not take what belongs to a servant of God. You should not harm the anointed one of God. Now, if the servant of God has done wrong, he is rebuked like Nathan to David. Being a servant of God does not make you immune to rebuke. A small boy, Samuel, was told to go and rebuke Eli, his guardian, who had played a father figure to the young boy. The message was heavy for the boy. It actually had judgment on Eli, not for his sins, but the sins of his sons, and for him failing to rebuke his sons. Eli did not commit adultery. He neglected discipline. He was judged harshly for neglecting discipline, for not rebuking his sons. He allowed this young man to continue serving in the tabernacle, though they were sinning before God. And he was judged harshly for that. And as we would have it, Samuel would suffer the same thing. His sons were also unruly when they served the people. And they would not continue serving as a king was then anointed to take over the role of a judge. We cannot want to be bigger than David and Peter, that we cannot be rebuked. To the corrupt church, Jesus Christ said, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent for her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Revelation 2 verse 20 to 21. To those that are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest may also fear. 1 Timothy 5 verse 20. Do not kill, do not destroy, but also do not pretend it is well. To the lukewarm church, Jesus Christ said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Revelation 3 verse 19. So don't throw stones, rebuke, correct, bring to repentance and restoration. Don't kill, spread some love and the word of God. You and I are the temple of a holy God. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. God is just to forgive us, brothers and sisters. He is just to forgive us. And he says, 
neither do I condemn you. There is now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Go, sin no more. Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Word Anchor Podcast. To get copies of my books, The Bride of Jesus, Dear Girl Child, Confessions of a Parent, Victorious Youth, and From the Pit to the Palace, go to Amazon.com. You can buy a hard copy or a Kindle edition. Remember to check out the show notes. Connect with me on social media platforms. Give feedback and continue to spread the word. Tune in for the next episode and make the word of God your anchor.